0: This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. How you doing? Hope you had a great weekend as we are headed into an afternoon that maybe holds in store a little bit of a change in weather for those of you over the eastern portions of our listening area, especially that southeastern area down into Kansas. But I'm sure that we'll cover that with all our regional forecasts coming up in the next few minutes. This is The Roundtable. Let's find out what's in store for you the next hour and a half to two here on your rural radio network station. And once again, we turn to Clay Patton.
1: You know, you're talking about moisture, in the eastern portion of the state had the bedroom window open last night and woke up to the scent of what I thought was rain, only to be reminded that I have automatic sprinklers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's different.
1: There's that. All right, so for the Ag team today, it is busy. At 1219, Alex Wojcicki is catching up with Brandy Vandewal. They're learning about a youth crop scouting contest that's coming up here very quickly. It'll be the first portion of July, so we're going to be really interested to see that. Of course, crop scouting is something that's never going to go away, so uh, very important there. At 12.45, we catch up with some custom harvesters with Bryce Duskett, and uh, he's talking with Tracy Zerowin of Zerowin Harvesting Manley, Nebraska, and Bryce is going to be talking to them. They uh, left part of their machines at home because there just wasn't enough acres between here and the southern portion of Texas with drought-stricken southwest Kansas and Oklahoma, so we're going to get kind of an in-depth look there. Then at 1.17, I'm catching back up with Strahinja Stepanovich. He is a Nebraska Extension educator based in grant nebraska and he has a pulse crops field day and a wheat field day coming up early next week so we're going to be diving in a little bit more on that into uh, some of the programs he's studied and some of the grad student information we're going to
0: see that in those tours all right sounds great thank you very much uh, clay how old are you clay Pat? uh 23 23 i'm 60 years old i have never once in my life have even one month with automatic sprinklers how about you jason nope you're doing okay, Clay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's millennial. It's the millennial I guess,
0: <laughs> All right. Well, irrigation on your uh, on, on, on your grass, I guess. that's. Uh, it, I just wish it was a cash crop because I would bail it. Exactly. If I could, I
1: would bail my yard, but the city of Elwood does not yeah, think that's a great idea. Really. All right.
0: Jason, what you got for
2: us?
3: Hey, by the end of the day and tonight, we will know the four other teams that will be headed to Omaha for the CWS. Washington and Mississippi State, they punched their tickets yesterday after Oregon and North Carolina won their Super Regionals on Saturday. Also, Athletic Director Bill Moose, Head Coach Scott Frost, and members of the Nebraska football staff have started their two-day 26-town blitz across the state to go out and meet a bunch of people. Moose and uh, Coach Frost will be in the garing and Alliance areas today. And, of course, we saw history on Saturday, another Triple Crown winner. Justify was very impressive with the victory. Sounds like he's going to get a rest now, and he probably deserves one after going 6-0 and over the course of the last 111 days.
0: That horse do run.
3: Uh, I was at an establishment on Saturday watching the race, and you could tell the lease at that place and i think most of america was cheering for him to win i think so yep.
0: <laughs> absolutely all right bob brogan have you ever had any automatic sprinklers in your life
3: i have not just wanted to check all right thanks absolutely <laughs> we- not uh i can buy a lot of hose for <laughs> <laughs> what automatic sprinklers cost and you can use that in a commercial a if you want <laughs> thank you okay wall street's a little bit higher today and so we're watching that gas prices remain steady and uh, for those of you keeping score at home, the end of net neutrality today. So this is the end of that. So okay. if you got four hours, maybe you can find an expert who could explain that. Yeah,
0: really, thanks. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Here we go. It's another... One of these change type of days here where we're getting cool on top of hot and we've got some severe weather but not right in the back door here.
4: Yeah, had some fairly strong thunderstorms this morning towards the uh, eastern part of Nebraska moved through Omaha. Those have now moved into western portions of Iowa, the southwest part of Iowa anyhow. Mm-hmm. So right along i it points to the south and southwest Iowa. But that same line
0: that those developed along is still going to be the line we're talking about later today,
4: right? Exactly, yeah, because that's right, that cold front that it's moving through right now will be moving through eastern areas of nebraska and kansas extreme eastern nebraska and kansas during the peak heating of the day and that's when we could see that uh, severe thunderstorm activity flare up already some very warm temperatures as you head into eastern yes. nebraska and kansas
0: all right and our uh, weathers brought to you incidentally by coolman repair
4: yeah on you know, that cold front temperatures in the low 90s currently at hebron also at salina and many locations into eastern kansas we have some temperatures in the low and mid 80s in much of eastern nebraska including from the tri-cities on to the east as warm as 89 also towards Biatchus. But behind that front, so those west and northwest winds cooling temperatures into the low. And mid-70s were 72 at North Platte. Very nice day. 77 at Lexington and Kearney. But that compares with 84 at Grand Island and Hastings. Kind of that battleground for the cool air continuing to move in. That front will continue to push towards the east. That's giving us some much cooler temperatures today compared to what we had yesterday. More seasonal on our temperatures as some northwest winds kick in behind that cold front as it pushes to the east. Thunderstorms are possible near the front during the peak heating of the day this afternoon from about York to Hebron and points to the southeast. A few of those storms could go severe, especially if you're along an east of a line from Wayne to Seward to Concordia. Behind that front tonight, looking at our coolest temperatures of the week in most of the area with overnight lows in many areas down into the 50s. You can actually probably give the AC a break for tonight. After we had our 7th warmest start to June and the warmest since 2006, temperatures will return to warmer than normal for the mid to late part of the week. We'll still be right near seasonal levels for tomorrow, so still another nice day for tomorrow with that front. Then there's some small thunderstorm chances start to kick in tomorrow night through Wednesday night as the cold front that moves through today lifts back to the north as a warm front. Now Thursday and Friday going to be mainly storm-free and much warmer and more summer-like when a ridge of high pressure over the southern plains builds back to the north. Thunderstorm chances, though, are back for Friday night through Sunday as we see a cold front approach and then it moves through late in the weekend. Temperatures ahead of that front will be in the 90s and then we'll back off into the 80s by Father's Day. In a long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures are forecast to start Warmer than normal this weekend and early next week, but actually looking out at temperatures closer to seasonal the middle of next week through June 24th. For precipitation, near normal to slightly above normal rainfall is predicted this weekend through June 24th. So some good news on there on things not drying up. Key weather factors impacting the market include ongoing rain in most of the Midwest and continued dry conditions across the Black Sea region. Thunderstorms stretching from the Dakotas to the Ohio Valley are maintaining mostly favorable growing conditions for corn and soybeans. About a week ago, at least three-quarters of U.S. corn and soybeans were rated in good to excellent condition. That should continue. There are pockets of drought, though, in the southwest Corn Belt, including parts of northern Missouri an active weather pattern across the central and eastern US going to lead to scattered but locally heavy rain, maybe some 5-day rain totals of 1 to 3 inches in several areas from the upper Midwest into the southeast US. That beneficial pattern in the Midwest expected to continue for at least the next 7 to 10 days with adequate soil moisture being maintained despite the warmer to much warmer than normal temperatures. In the southern plains more episodes of above to much above normal temperatures and limited rain will decrease the soil moisture and also increase that stress on developing corn and soybeans. The dry and hot weather, though, is helping for the maturing of winter wheat and harvest. Russian and Ukraine wheat areas expect very little rain this week. The Black Sea wheat production this year expected by many to be less than last year.
0: Regional Ag Weather brought to you by Kuhlman Repair and uh, I have been accused of being a cold-blooded person. Uh, When you talk about giving the air conditioning a break overnight, I'm thinking temperatures down in the 50s mean heater
4: for me. Uh, Really? Okay. (laughs) That means open up the window for me. (laughs) Especially since my bedroom's on the side of the house where that wind will be coming in.
0: Okay, and uh, if you need, uh, you know, as we see these storms pop here in the late afternoon make sure that you're tuned in with us and we'll catch it with the storm center coverage here on 880 krvn and your rural radio network stations when you need weather anytime
4: krvn.com
5: the trump administration is planning a usda reorganization i'm shaley peters joining you now on the rural radio network Let's take a midday look at Ag News. The Trump administration is planning to put together a government reorganizing report That would include shifting the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program away from the USDA and into the Department of Health and Human Services. Several of the proposals in the upcoming report are said to be highly controversial. The SNAP proposal would shrink USDA because the SNAP program is the single largest item in the budget. Other proposals include moving the U.S. Forest Service from USDA to the Interior Department. That would also shrink the size of the USDA because the Forest Service has the largest number of employees in any USDA division. Yet another proposal included combining the U.S. Food Safety and Inspection Service, which oversees meat, poultry, processed eggs, and catfish with the inspection activities of the Food and Drug Administration and other agencies. Again, that would shrink the USDA size because FSIS also employs a large staff that inspects meat production on a daily basis. And while there are plenty of unknowns that could happen with President Trump's historic meeting with North Korea leader Kim Jong-un this week, there is still good news for ag from the Korean Peninsula. Up. Clay Patton brings us more.
1: Asian markets are some of the quickest growing ag export markets for U.S. producers. Craig Yudin, former NCBA president and current Nebraska cattle feeder, tells us that current trade talks could limit some Asian countries to U.S. beef, but South Korea looks to be a solid and still growing customer.
6: They're major... Players, Japan. We stepped away from the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, trade agreement to work on a bilateral. Uh, Nebraska exports about $375 million worth of beef over to Japan every year. Our biggest problem there with not having, with not being in the TPP, we pay a 38.5% tariff on frozen beef. Consequently, if we overshoot our quota like we did last year, it goes to 50%. Korea, on the other hand, we've uh, renegotiated a free trade agreement uh, with those folks uh, five, six years ago. And we've updated that this year. And we are exporting out of Nebraska $253 million. So that one's fairly safe.
1: On the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton.
5: And as weed harvest kicks up across much of the southern plains and headed north, some custom harvest crews are scrambling for acres. Tracy Zorian of Zorian Harvesting of Manly, Nebraska, talks about one of the factors that's very much impacting their business this year. Drought is
7: huge part. Down in the Texas, Oklahoma area, they have had a, such a severe drought that there are either no acres to cut or very, very small number of acres to cut. Um, all of the acres that we had lined up for the Texas area has been zeroed out, so we have nothing to go for. Uh, Oklahoma is pretty much in the same boat. And all the other harvesters that I'm talking to, it's not just us. If they're out there on the road, they're cutting less acres. They're, they're
5: suffering as well. They're just fortunate enough to be out there. And finally, the Kansas Department of Agriculture in May participated in a trade mission to Israel to attend three conferences and tour Israel's agriculture and food-related sectors. Israel is among the leading countries in agricultural and ag-related technologies and is well known for water innovation. In addition, Israel is a key importer of Kansas cereal grains, totaling $100 million over the last three years. Find more on that story as well as all of our other ag news, audio, and video and updated market information anytime by visiting ruralradio.com. That's a look at your midday ag news. I'm Shaley Peters and you're listening to the Rural Radio.
8: Well, good afternoon. I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network. And joining me on the phone today is Brandi Vandewall, Nebraska Extension Educator, to c- talk about the upcoming Youth Crop Scouting Contest. Brandy, before we get into details about this, can you tell us what the students will be doing if they were to compete in this contest?
9: Yes. Yeah, so uh, the Youth Crop Scouting Competition is for youth in teams of three to five, And they will be expected to know some of the basics of corn scouting, um, corn crop scouting, as well as soybean um, scouting. And they will do such things as um, staging crops, um, looking at maybe some disease insects um, that might be occurring in those plots, and then also some weed identification. So it gives them basically just a a whole approach to looking at some basic crop scouting principles.
8: And you mentioned that these students had to be in teams. Can you give us more information about that?
9: Yes. So um, this year we lowered the age so it can be It's open to youth who have completed fifth through twelfth grades. So it's quite a wide gap there. Um, as long as they're a 4-H and FSA member, they're welcome to compete. And they can have members of, you know, three, uh, four or five individuals to participate as a team.
8: And I understand that they do have to have a team sponsor. Is that correct?
9: Yes. So we've had a variety of people serve as those team sponsors. We've had um, FFA advisors, extension educators, and we've also had just some parents um, or agronomists that really want to work with youth and get them excited about crops.
8: And so when and where will this crop scouting contest be held?
9: So this contest is going to be July 26th at the Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension Center near Mead, And uh, we have registration starts at 815 and we usually wrap up um, by about 2 o'clock. Do you have any more information you'd like to add while I've still got you on the phone? Yeah, so this contest, um, we're, we're very fortunate that DuPont Pioneer, as well as the Nebraska Independent Crop Consultant Association, helped sponsor this event. So we're able to provide some of these youth with some actual cash prizes. And then the top two teams from our Nebraska competition will actually advance to a regional competition. Um, so we'll pull in Iowa as well as Indiana and have kind of a friendly competition that way. And this year, the regional competition is going to be held in Nebraska.
8: And where at in Nebraska will the regional competition be held?
9: Uh, we will also hold this competition at the Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension Center.
8: Well, that's very exciting, and it's hard to believe that July is next month, so students definitely need to be getting registered for this because you only allow 10 teams. Is that correct?
9: That's correct. Um, just because of the logistics, and you know, this is a very hands on activity where the kids are in the field doing the crop scouting, we um, are only have the the capacity to handle about 10 teams. So if they could register by July 18th, that would be great. And then um, you could also add that the details um, to register can be found on our cropwatch.unl.edu website, um, searching under the Youth tab.
8: Great. Well, that was a lot of information. So as a quick recap, the Youth Crop Scouting Competition is open to students who have completed 5th through 12th grade and are either in 4H or FFA, they need to be in teams of 3 to 5 members with a team sponsor. They'll be identifying corn and soybean diseases, insects and growth stages among other things. The deadline for team registration is June 18th, but there is a 10 team limit, so students need to hurry up and get registered. There are cash prizes available for the top 3 teams. And we thank you, Brandy, for your time. Again, that was Brandy Vandewall, Extension Educator at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, with that information. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska soybean farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
0: You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen.
3: Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the rest of the field will be set for the College World Series by the end of the day. Four more teams will punch their tickets now over the weekend Oregon State and North Carolina. They won their Super Regionals on Saturday, and yesterday, Washington and Mississippi State advanced on. Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose, new head coach Scott Frost, and members of the football staff will visit all areas of Nebraska as part of the Husker Nation Tour the next two days. The two-day 26-town blitz will take place today and tomorrow. This afternoon, Frost and Moose will be in the Garing and Alliance areas. Triple Crown winner Justify will get a much-deserved break and then race again later on this year, although no date or location has been targeted yet, after the Colt came out of his Belmont Stakes victory in pretty good shape. A plan will be formulated once the colt recovers from a compressed schedule that saw him win six races over 111 days since his debut in mid-February. Trainer Bob Baffert says he had a good feeling about Saturday's outcome.
4: Preakness, we uh,
2: felt really good about this horse and um, shipped in here really well. When I saw him train the first day here, he was just, just, just. He went around there like you know they're supposed to go around there, and um, you know he he tipped us off from from.
3: His first race. Justified became the 13th Triple Crown winner and second in the last four years with his victory on Saturday in the Belmont. French Open champions Rafael Nadal and Simona Halep have held on to their number one rankings with their titles. Nadal sits barely ahead of number two Roger Federer in the new ATP standings. They would have switched places if the Spaniard had lost at the French Open. Women's runner-up Sloane Stevens is now a career-high number four. The Supreme Court is leaving in place a court decision dismissing a lawsuit filed against the Chicago Cubs by the owners of rooftop clubs adjacent to Wrigley Field. Skybox on Sheffield and Lakeview Baseball Clubs sued three years ago, arguing in part that a new video board the team was adding would block their views of the ballpark and violate terms of a revenue-sharing agreement. A judge throughout the case and an appeals court agreed. The Supreme Court declined today to get involved in this one. And NASCAR Clint Boyer raced to his second Sprint Cup Series victory of the season with yesterday's event at Michigan, which was called early because of rain. That rain put a stop to the race after 133 of the planned 200 laps on that two mile track. And Dwayne Casey, who led the Toronto Raptors the 59 wins this past season, he has been named the new head coach of the Detroit Pistons. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
10: Thunderstorms are possible in eastern Nebraska tonight, otherwise becoming mostly clear statewide overnight. I'm Dave Schroeder. A federal appeals court has upheld a $28 million judgment against Gage County and two law enforcement officials for a Nebraska case involving six people who were wrongfully convicted of murder. The 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals declined to overturn the jury's 2016 verdict in a ruling issued today. The verdict was awarded to the group, known as the Beatrice Six, for the wrongful conviction in the 1985 rape and killing of 68-year-old Helen Wilson. They spent more than 75 years combined in prison until DNA evidence cleared them in 2008. The evidence instead pointed to an Oklahoma City man who died in 1992. The lawsuit alleged that law enforcement officials recklessly strove to close the case despite contradictory evidence. A man died after his motorcycle collided with an oncoming sport utility vehicle in eastern Nebraska. It occurred late yesterday afternoon on Highway 6 just east of Waverly. The eastbound motorcyclist rode into the westbound lane and struck the SUV. The motorcyclist has been identified as 51-year-old Ronald Coram Jr., who lived in Greenwood. The SUV driver has been identified as 44-year-old Mark Levitt, who lives in rural Lincoln. He and one of his six passengers were treated for minor injuries. The others weren't hurt. COSAD Community Health Systems presented a check Friday for more than $18,000 to employees of COSAD Care and Rehabilitation Center in COSAD. The funds came from a cookout fundraiser hosted by COSAD Community Health Systems last month. COSAD Care and Rehabilitation Center was among 21 long-term care facilities in Nebraska that was part of a bankruptcy by its owner. It left employees without a paycheck for a period of time until it was taken over by the state. But employees had not been able to recover that lost paycheck. Kansas City's two measles outbreaks are over, but officials are just starting to calculate the costs of containing them. The Kansas City Star reports that the city deemed the outbreaks officially over as of Monday, when there had been no new cases in 42 days or two incubation periods. The city had been combating the highly contagious virus since March. More than $170,000 in taxpayer resources went to holding the outbreaks to 35 total cases, 22 of which were in Kansas. Storm Center coverage 24-7. Catch it on air, Twitter, Facebook, and online at krvn.com. I'm Dave Schroer. Custom harvesting has a
11: rich tradition in American history. For decades, men and women have piled in semi-trucks, pulling combines, and followed the wheat maturity from Texas to the Canadian border. But with a drought across the southern plains and more farmers eyeing alternative crops, is the custom harvester's business drying up? On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. The history of custom harvest runs deep within Jim and Tracy's area. It started with Tracy's grandfather. At 17 years old, he began doing custom harvest work in Kansas. He eventually joined the harvest crew lifestyle traveling north into the Dakotas.
7: And my dad was the one that was able to take off and go with him for a couple of years. And he talked about how they'd sleep in the truck, they'd sleep under the truck. And when there were rain days, they stayed under the truck. I mean, it was just so interesting and so much more different than what we've got to deal with nowadays.
11: At just 12 years old, Tracy joined her grandfather's crew for the summer. You could say she found a passion. A few years later, she found something else, a husband. Jim was a hired man on the harvest crew.
7: And as it progressed, then his family and my family were friends, and we ended up getting married in 1982 with no intention of being involved in harvest at all.
11: But as fate has it, the two had the opportunity to continue the harvest business. With a combine, one hired man, and two children, they did just that.
7: Headed out to Lodgepole thinking that maybe we could make this work, and here we still are.
11: Things have changed a bit since the two got started. But one thing that has changed dramatically in recent years is their route.
7: We could pretty much tell you exactly what our jobs were at that time. In that 90s, we were starting down around Guthrie, Oklahoma, which is a central part of Oklahoma, I believe, by ne- Oklahoma City.
11: They'd make their way across America's heartland from Oklahoma to Kansas, western Nebraska, and into Montana. But things changed. Modern technology has changed the landscape.
7: We our way up into Montana and I believe at that time we could count on like about seven different stops and now we're doing maybe about four.
11: Change, not only to the landscape but in the way people rely on custom harvesters.
7: But there's changes being made with relationships that you have with your farmers because they're trying to make a profit and they're going to do whatever they can to try to make that profit. Well then, you know, we need to do something to make a profit. And there's people who rely on us further down. There's the RV trailer guy who counts on us to be here two weeks. There's the grocery people who count on us. It's a fuel man, and when we're not there, everybody suffers. I don't know. I am I just feel a change in, in our industry.
11: As June is ticking by, most harvesters would be on the road by now.
7: Um, drought is a huge part down in the Texas Oklahoma area they have had a, such a severe drought that there are either no acres to cut or very very small number of acres to cut. Um, all of the acres that we had lined up for the Texas area has been zeroed out so we have nothing to go for. Uh, Oklahoma is pretty much in the same boat and all the other harvesters that I'm talking to it's not just us if they're out there on the road they're cutting less acres they're They're suffering as well. They're just fortunate enough to be out there. And maybe it's the push of the labor that they need to pay, whereas Jim and I don't have that. So we're playing it safe, I guess, rather than spending more expenses on the road. And I put the tweet out hoping we could find something, but it's not really stirred anything up.
11: The tweet. On May 16th, Tracy placed a call for help from the agriculture community. Zarian Harvest in pretty much a bad way for acres this summer. Bad goes to worse, she wrote. If anyone could use a combine and two of us, please let me know. The call for help came after Jim did a quick crop scouting tour.
7: And found out nothing in Texas. Oklahoma looks terrible. Kansas is holding on, and we might have something to do at Garden City. And then the bomb dropped with the Colorado situation. And it was just an instant... It was just an instant sickness inside my gut, and I'm like, now what do we do? I mean, we went through this last summer. What do we do? We there was so many different times that we came to a brick wall and didn't know, now what? Now what do we do? You know? So this is where we were at already right now, and I'm like, this is all I can do. I'm gonna put out it on social media and see if we can maybe find something. So that's where we're at.
11: Even as the family searches for acres, Tracy is still optimistic and positive.
7: You know, the one thing that I try to remain positive about is that we look at this job that we've had the last 36 years, and, you know, we knew going into it we were never going to be millionaires, but what we didn't really, I guess me, maybe Jim has a a different outlook, but what I didn't count on, what I didn't realize until just within the last couple years is... We were blessed with this industry in the fact that, okay, no, we don't have a fancy house. We don't have new cars. We don't have any of these wonderful things that the world wants us to have, but we've got a great family. That family time that we had on the summer wheat harvest built a great family. And I mean, that to me is better than anything that we could have done with, that's my opinion.
11: As of late, the Zarian crew was driving to Kansas to meet with some farmers. Tracy reported the acres could be ready around the 17th. She also noted it would be good to be able to join the party. I'm Bryce Duskip
12: reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Well, let's find out what happened in livestock futures trade with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities.
6: Joe? Yeah, what a very good start uh, for the week uh, today. Uh, we started out a little bit stronger in the cattle, uh, based upon, uh, the trade late last week, uh, and, uh, it, it was very positive and it brought on a, uh, higher call and a higher trade early in the uh, session. But, uh, uh, boy, after the cutouts came out, uh, we came, which were, uh, down a dollar eight on the choice, uh, and no, uh, real, uh, uh bids out in the country whatsoever, that put uh, some selling pressure on the uh, market, and we ended up with uh, several uh, triple-digit losses, uh, uh, most of it right here, there in the front end. So uh, disappointing day, uh, that's a downside reversal, higher high and lower low, lower close, and uh, that uh, Uh, didn't doesn't bode well for the market at this point the feeders following suit with triple digit losses also then you turn to the hogs one little bright spot just the june hogs which managed to close just a little bit higher the rest of them came under pressure and this despite the fact that cash was firm uh steady firm and uh, uh cutouts uh a dollar ninety, dollar ninety higher at news. So, uh, really, uh, I think a lot of fear coming uh, uh, over the trade uh, talks um, that continue to plague the market. So,
12: thanks, Joe.
1: Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. To enter into the mid-growing season in western and central Nebraska, it's time for field days put on by UNL and UNL Extension. We find out more about pulse crops, lentils, and wheat workshops right here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. I'm talking with Strahinja Stepanovich. He is the Nebraska Extension Educator based in Grant, Nebraska. And Strahinia coming up next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you have uh, lentil, field pea, as well as wheat, Field day tours coming up. They'll talk a little bit about research. You'll be able to go through some fields, but this is really interesting. This is the second year that you've had these two together. So give us a little background on the field days and uh, some exciting things that you've been able to grow with these upcoming field days.
2: We've done field days last year and it was test run for combining field field peas and wheat. This year we have grown in both diversity <laughs> and volume of what we um, of the plots of the research that we're going to show. I'm just going to give you like previous years. We had uh, about 49 wheat varieties and about 20 field pea varieties. This year, we have. I'm just going to give you examples for field pea varieties: 37 varieties in Grant, 36 varieties in Callaway, 25 varieties at Bladen. In addition to that, we're going to have a different agronomic studies on field peas and. Winter wheats. Plus, we're going to give a chance to our industry partners uh, to present their research. For example, here in Grant, we're going to have Monsanto, Westbred, that does their own agronomic research on wheats, and we're going to have a Frenchman Valley Co-op, which we partnered with. They're going to show some of their research on white wheats that we don't have focus really on in a, in a university setting. So they they're the ones that are pushing that market that that People go to them for white wheat, so they have their own plots that they can show, and um, that's just a. And then the cover crops. We had uh, grad students working on planting cover crops behind wheat, and what does that do to corn? We're going to start looking at different fallow replacements: chickpeas, lentils, black-eyed peas, or soybeans, and how does that affect wheat if you replace fallow? Uh, It's just going to be very, very diverse. Pulse
1: crops have been around for a while, but one question a lot of producers always ask is, is there a market for it? And Strahinia, you believe that the market is growing quite rapidly.
2: We have this really progressive pulse crop industry. We have companies like Redwood uh, that just came in. We have a company like Gavilon Grain. Uh, We have other people that want to contract farmers for growing pulses, um, like uh, Farms Business Network or... um, a farm lead, and we also have for some of those progressive farmers that are interested in getting into manufacturing side of things. Because when you talk about pulses, you're growing food, um, and you can get the, uh, to uh, in the manufacturing side of things. And we have Brothney Company coming in and and talking about that. Um, we we want people to know how progressive this industry is, how many opportunities for diversifying your farm there are, and we want to talk about how they can go and market their grain and get the best price. That's all about this, Field P. We're trying to fit in a lot of different things in this, but it's, it's so important to keep in touch and stay on top of research that's been done and also stay on top of other side of things, uh, getting in touch with industry and marketing.
1: That again, Strania Stabanovich telling us about his upcoming Field Pea as well as Wheat Field Day tours coming up June 18th, 19th, and 20th. To learn more about it, contact the Extension Office in Grant and keep listening to the Rural Radio Network.
12: Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We're a day ahead of a WASDE report. We have also have... You know, seen some pretty good rains in the corn and soybean belt, and crop uh, conditions are looking pretty favorable. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we see some double-digit losses in corn and soybeans today. With us, John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Do you share the thoughts of many of the traders that the crop progress reports are uh, really? pointing to some pretty good conditions right now.
13: Yeah, I think the debate now is what do the conditions mean, you know, because it really matters if, if guys think this crop can be a 182 or a 184. I mean, we've never really had this. Before where you've had a really good start followed by a really good middle part of the season. Um, you know, in the years I've been doing this, it's been a really good start or a really poor start followed by the opposite conditions. Uh, or you have a poor start followed by a poor middle and then you get a change mid-summer. And we get the condition or the, the yield outlook moving uh, higher into harvest. So in this case, I mean, I think the real risk is that the yield's going to lower into harvest just given that it's only the eleventh of June. I keep telling myself that. I I know it's uh, it certainly doesn't help, but I mean we've given back the entire first half of the year's price gains on December contract. Started at around three eighty. We got up to four twenty nine, almost four thirty, and now we're at three eighty eight. And four twenty nine was just on the fifteenth of May. So, you know, in the last basically We'll call it 15- 20 trading sessions we've given away all of the gains from the early part of the year and I think a lot of that is conditions. I think the other part of it is trade uncertainty and then lastly and then currencies and we've really been hit with a triple whammy here. I would tell folks to be patient. I, I think you know you'd like to say you know yeah it'll bounce. Um, unfortunately I don't know if it's going to happen before the July delivery starts. I think that's really what's putting pressure on it as well. a lot of bushels on the field still uh, and that has to price itself into the market given that exports are so fantastic, ethanol margins fantastic, feed margins fantastic. I don't think there's a whole lot there that I would be too concerned about uh, you know on the buy side, but it's about numbers and we're 22 to under July under December, which is a very bearish side. Uh, and I think that uh, you know this probably continues to the USDA, but we should have a good number tomorrow. I think we'll get good data to talk about.
12: What do you like about tomorrow's report? What's going to be the important ones?
13: Global, global stocks and demand. Both of those should be. We should see an increase in demand, and I think we should see global stocks fall. And how much, I don't know. I mean, you could see a 10 million metric ton cut globally if you bring down Russia and you bring down uh, you know, the South American countries. And I mean, that's 400 million bushels right there. So if you tack on 400 million bushels on our yield, now you're talking about a 183 yield. So it can be made quickly. Just be patient here.
12: John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com.